Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, it just feels a little bit different when you had a big game on tap, and Saturday is a big game on tap for Georgia and Missouri. I believe the team views it that way. Uh, this is a Missouri team ranked 12th in the country. This is a Missouri team that played Georgia close a year ago. So if you're trying to sell to the Georgia players of, hey, be ready, be at your best, I think Missouri right now has the credentials to justify that. Plus, let's keep in mind here that Missouri beat the uh, reigning Big 12 champs, Kansas State, earlier this year. So that's kind of that signature style win to give you an idea that, yeah, this is probably the best team that Georgia has played uh, thus far this season. I believe it's probably the best team that Georgia will play throughout the uh, regular season there as well. You could make a case that Tennessee on the road is a perhaps tougher game because of the environment. But in terms of comparing the opponents, I believe there's a case to be made that the toughest game that Georgia plays this season will be on Saturday. What my hope is, and I believe we'll be proven right on this, what my hope is is that Georgia fans also understand that too and that we're exactly a year removed from the incredible environment that existed in Sanford Stadium, probably the best single moment maybe in the history of that stadium, certainly for me perhaps the most fun week leading up to that game against Tennessee a year ago in the entire history of Dog Nation Daily, which dates back to 2015, just an incredible moment when, when fans for Georgia were better than they've ever been before. I'd love to think tomorrow it can be a replica of that. I hope that it will. We'll all be watching closely uh, to see if that's indeed the case. Now, also coming up in a couple of minutes here, uh, I was kind of teasing this with our video audience earlier. Saturday also represents a little bit of an end of an era type thing for a UGA and you need to be aware of this perhaps you already are but we'll kind of get into that here coming up in just a little bit too prior to that though let's go between the white lines for a moment and let's look at what might be the absolute deciding factor in this game on Saturday it's those kind of special situations Eli Drinkwitz the Missouri coach talked about that a little bit earlier this week that for a Missouri team that's a couple of touchdown underdog here and from a perception standpoint perhaps even a wider you know gap between the two teams than that they know they need to do some special things they know they need to be good in the exact right moments to have a chance to pull this upset off and drink what's this week and I think this is actually pretty candid and kind of kind of accurate you know it's always nice in a press conference situation when coaches kind of give you something that sort of feels real and something that's more than just hey we got to block and tackle and you know got to take it one play at a time I think the drink what's kind of gives you a little bit more on that than with this here kind of zeroing in on what truly might matter for his team on Saturday if they really do have a chance to come here and pull the upset against the two-time national champion Georgia that hasn't lost at home in seemingly forever this is what Eli Drinkwitz said about that that what would it take to get that done drink with some earlier this week take a listen to this that's going to be very important right on both sides of the ball i think you could look at this game um, as a third down red zone game you know i think when we look at the statistics um, after the game we're going to look who took advantage of the red zone opportunities um, and who uh, had the best or who did the best job on third downs so that's what drink says hey you got to be good on third down got to be good on the red zone now i'm going to confess something to you here I obviously had known that Georgia had had some red zone issues, but I had a commenter on our R.S. Andrews cooldown. We do the R.S. Andrews cooldown at the end of every show. Folks have a chance on video to kind of take some comments. They, they share comments. I read them. We kind of talk about what they had to say. And somebody pointed out something to me yesterday that I wasn't quite aware of. I knew that Georgia had had its red zone issues, 
But I'll be honest with you, I had no idea how significant those issues were. You hear Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri coach there, say that we got to be good in the red zone. We got to be good on third down. Those situational moments when we have the ball, or perhaps defensively, those situational moments when Georgia has the ball, that's what this game is going to come down to. And for Georgia in particular, even though statistically speaking, this has still been a very good, you know, kind of georgia uh uh you know defensive year i mean it's not you know it's not a huge outlier compared with the last couple of years have been at least for the most part the one spot where georgia has not been good and this has been an eye-opener for a lot of us during the games and i found out yesterday statistically just how true this is is how bad georgia has been at giving up touchdowns when its defense is in the red zone against somebody else's offense did you know that georgia's last in the sec in this category did you know that 76.47 percent of opponent red zone trips against georgia have resulted in touchdowns that's wild right that is such an outlier from what you've you know come come to expect from georgia it's really pretty concerning now If there is a silver lining to that, the caveat is, well, Georgia doesn't allow nearly as many trips into the red zone as a lot of teams in the SEC are going to, but they have given up 13 red zone touchdowns here this year. So that's been a vulnerability. That's been a weakness. And I always, when I see like things like this that are kind of outliers, in other words, if you look at the overall profile of Georgia defensively, it's still really stout. They've given up some weird touchdowns to begin games. They've given up some weird red zone touchdowns. But on a per play basis, Georgia defensively has still been pretty strong. So I have a tendency to sort of view this sometimes as one of those sort of like statistical anomalies that perhaps clears itself up as a year goes along. But let's face it, we're also getting a little deeper into the year yet, you know, at this point. And it's not quite cleared itself up completely as of yet. So this is something to be aware of. Last year, Georgia went to Como as like a 30-point favorite. And this game was far closer than it was supposed to be. This particular Saturday, Georgia sees itself slightly in excess of a two-touchdown favorite. Once again, there is danger that this game could be closer than it perhaps is expected to be and if it is as we said yesterday perhaps it's a breakdown on that opening drive and that sort of play script moment for the opposing offense having the success the way that Florida did a week ago a touchdown could make a difference when you're playing a team in Missouri that's perhaps better than Florida was last week and breakdowns in the red zone could be the same type of deal here where at some point in time when you do allow a team to get inside the 20 on you you got to try to find a way to keep him out of the end zone, perhaps better than Georgia's done this year. So this week, during one of his press availabilities, Kirby Smart was asked, yeah, what do you do during practice to try to alleviate what's been kind of a rare blemish for your defense, giving up points inside the 20 here thus far this season? And, you know, Smart gave, the, I guess, the best answer he could possibly provide on this. This is what Kirby said they're doing right now to sort of work on some of these red zone defensive issues. Yeah, we're doing the same thing we've done every year. So the result's been different, but the process has been the same. So uh, we try to make a bigger emphasis on it. And uh, when you say try to do anything different, uh, we're just trying to do more of doing it right, like eye control, uh, doing your job, uh, stopping the run, those things. I don't know there's a lot of tangible information to take out of what Kirby Smart says there, but I do believe the tone probably matters. And you don't certainly hear any kind of like panic or distress in smart's voice as he talks about some of those kinds of things what you hear is a fairly calm demeanor and perhaps that suggests that as georgia kind of moves through the year here you know they can get better in this category like 
Red zone touchdown against Florida last week. That kind of comes garbage time late in the game. You had some backups in there, so perhaps there's a little bit of an asterisk around that. And perhaps as you start moving into games against better offenses in games that perhaps matter more, you see the Georgia defense for the totality of the game play a little bit more like what you're used to seeing. But I do believe the drink, which is right, watch here on third down, watch here red zone for both teams, offense against defense, defense against offense. Uh, that's going to be one of those things that determines does Georgia get the win is it comfortable is it easy or does Missouri come in here like a year ago when Georgia on the road and have a chance to challenge there now let me take a moment here to kind of sort of broaden this out and expand uh, on this and kind of give you I guess these would be sort of my official thoughts on the game as it relates to Saturday I, I do like Georgia here in this spot and you know, the one thing, because I am a Georgia fan, typically I have my Georgia gear on for the uh, show. Today I've got my uh, high school football gear tonight on Petrie Sports Network. But, you know, normally I'm wearing the red and black. You know, we kind of view this uh, show from a sort of a Georgia fan-centric perspective. You always want to make sure of, okay, well, if you like Georgia here in this spot, if you believe they're going to win, then, you know, what perhaps are you not considering? What perhaps should be looked at from a little closer vantage point to perhaps make the case for the opposition a little bit more? A lot of folks have talked about this week, Missouri having the extra week to prepare. But so far in the Eli Drinkwitz era, that hasn't necessarily mattered. Bye weeks haven't been a big part of Drinkwitz's tenure thus far at Missouri. He's 2-2 two and two against the spread in four games dating back to his first season in 2020. Of course, 2020 was weird. They had a couple of uh, bye weeks moments then. But 2-2 two and two in four previous games in the Drinkwitz era against the spread coming off byes. The two failed covers have been in each of the last two years, games against Vanderbilt they come to find out we're just closer than they were supposed to be still Missouri wins but not Missouri covers so not only has the bye week not really allowed Missouri to particularly play much better it also hasn't come prior to playing like a major opponent I'm sure if you're Missouri the fact that you've had your bye week prior to uh, the Vanderbilt game the last couple of years has probably been a little bit frustrating uh, but nonetheless two and two against the spread in four previous games for Drinkwitz after a bye not exactly a huge argument in favor of that plus here's the thing to remember this is sort of the spot where Georgia has been really good uh georgia's covered the spread in four of its last five sec games at home so when you think about an sec team coming into sanford stadium loud crowd raucous environment focused level of attention from georgia dogs have typically been at their best and i have to say that's sort of what i'm expecting to see again tomorrow there as well and if all you care about is who wins the game that's perhaps good news but if you want to take this to a step further and kind of think about this from a point spread perspective you know right now you've seen georgia i think the game opened at what 17 is actually kind of fallen some throughout the week i think we've kind of seen it where around that sort of 15 and a half number i'm honestly not sure what it is exactly right now because i didn't look at it prior to the show starting but it's been kind of around that 15 and a half 16 type number slightly above the uh, two touchdowns there but underneath that key number of 17 what i want to tell you here is at that price i think you're getting georgia to real bargain as i mentioned earlier georgia was like a 30 point favorite at missouri a year ago last time missouri came here to athens in 2021 missouri was a 40 point i should say georgia was a 40 point favorite against missouri now part of that spread is dropping is because missouri has gotten better but nonetheless this is a part of a recent trend we've seen from uga you know last week georgia was only about a 14 and a half point favorite against florida they were 23 point favorites the previous year and it's not obvious right now how much better this florida team will be than the one a year ago there's clearly a little bit of a 
I guess you call it a drop in the perception of UGA. After all, Georgia only covered the spread in one of its first seven games here this year. So that maybe creates an opportunity to sort of take a look at the underdog for a little bit of a longer look. But when we do take that longer look, we're still coming away liking Georgia. The magic number we've been giving you is 13. That's what Georgia gave up exactly a year ago to Tennessee. The Tennessee offense that Georgia faced then far better than this Missouri offense now. A week ago had not been the garbage time touchdown late in the game when Florida was still desperate to get whatever points they could. Georgia would have held those lousy stinking Gators to 13 points. Georgia, I believe, can do that again on Saturday there as well. And I think that Georgia finds the 30s. This is just an offense right now under Mike Bobo with Carson Beck at the helm. They're averaging 40 points per game. I don't think finding 30 or more tomorrow is uh, difficult at all. So if you're looking for the kind of nice, fun, two touchdown plus sort of win from these dogs, I think that's what they're capable of doing. And in doing so, sending a message to the rest of college football that at exactly the right time, Georgia's coming to its own, playing its best football when it matters most. That's what I expect to see happen from these dogs tomorrow. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Kroger, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, we start first in 15, 945, dognation.com, dognation app. That is extra content. Somebody asked me the other day, how come you only do that on dognation.com? Because here's the reason why, or the Dog Nation app. Here's the reason why. You know, a couple of years ago, we said, okay, we need to introduce a brand new platform for our show, and we want to do that kind of on our own platform not one of these things that big tech sort of acts as the overlord for us on we want our own platform our native content if you will and so we started rolling out dognation.com and on the dog nation app and we wanted to say thank you to those who kind of tuned in to watch there we are for the most part platform agnostic but when it came to kind of introducing a new platform a little bit of extra juice to sort of help build that thing up and i would say it's worked really well thousands of you watch on dognation.com each and every day for which I am eternally, eternally grateful. And our way of saying, small token of our appreciation, a thank you, is by our first and 15 there at dognation.com, dognation app. 10 a.m., we're live everywhere across all video platforms. Radio, Athens Sports, Radio 960 to Ref. Podcast, the oldest platform. I would say still my, if I was being honest, my favorite of the platforms. Just really, really thankful to have everybody who tunes in, however you choose to do it. Thanks for being here and being a part of our show And boy, what a big thanks we go to our friends at Kroger for making this all possible there as well. And guess what? It's uh, sort of that Thanksgiving time of year. We're in November. Everybody enjoying fall. And finally, for those of you who like, what is it? What do they call it? Sweater weather. Had a little sweater weather here the last few days. So that kind of makes it feel even more like fall, which is kind of a nice thing here. And when you think about fall, think about a fall-themed version of Kroger Chef Jr. We've heard from folks here as of late who've done the Kroger Chef Jr. with their kids. They love that. They've had a great time with that. We want to invite you to do the same thing there as well. This guided kids cooking experience making festive fall muffins. Boy, that sounds good. That's coming up this Saturday. That's November 5th and November 12th there as well at select Kroger locations. Now, you've heard me talk to you about this before, but if you're not familiar, let me tell you what the Kroger Chef Jr. experience is all about. It's a 30-minute class. Your child's going to get an apron and a patch, a chef's hat, a recipe. First of all, I just wish I had a chef's hat. That'd be awesome. Uh, a recipe card and box and a mini muffin pan it's just seven dollars per child making those festive fall muffins here this month so please check out krogerchefjr.com for more on this that's j-u-n-i-o-r kroger chef jr the word jr all spelled out for more on that make sure you check that out today and make sure you enjoy all of that now if you're going to kroger chef jr tomorrow that perhaps means you are watching the george missouri game on television so 
Let's talk about that for a moment as a part of Around the Doghouse, poured today by the Finnish Long Drink. And by the way, if you're settling in to watch the game tomorrow at home, a little Finnish Long Drink in the fridge, I would say is a great way to accompany you on all of that. Many of you are aware of this, but let's expand this a little bit more for the folks who perhaps have not considered this. Tomorrow is the end of an era. Tomorrow is the i believe I, I, let's say almost certainly perhaps not a guarantee but almost certainly uh i think tomorrow is going to end up being the last time a certain something ever happens for uga and i gotta tell you i'm a little bit sad sad about it uh, i believe tomorrow will end up being the last georgia home game that airs on CBS at 3.30 p.m. The great theme song, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, like tomorrow will be the last day if you tune in to watch this on CBS that you got that great time slot, you got that great theme song, uh, the great, you know, normally it's Brad Nessler and uh, Gary Danielson, I'm presuming they're doing the LSU-Alabama game tomorrow night. Uh, this will be our last time in Athens to have this. Of course, Georgia Ole Miss is next week, but I'm led to believe, uh, according to some of the online chatter, that Georgia can't be on old, uh, on uh, CBS next week, that they probably will be uh, Knoxville against Tennessee, but can't be next week, perhaps. Uh, so I'm guessing that next Saturday's game, it is a home game, but I sort of get the impression it probably perhaps will not be a 3.30 CBS. If I'm wrong, then we'll do all this again next Saturday. But one way or another, we're kind of coming down to the end of an era for the sec on cbs and i know a lot of you like the absolute night games the best of all i've always felt like the 330 game on cbs is just sort of the best of college football especially in the fall like this because when the sun's sort of setting that earlier sunset by the way uh, time changes this weekend too which i thought we were doing away with but apparently we're not um either way the time's changing this weekend but as that sun sort of sets during the game, you know, you look out there across the west end zone, across the bridge and all that kind of stuff. It's always beautiful in Athens. It's kind of dark by the time the game's over with, but it's, you know, you know, kind of nice in daylight when the game begins. Uh, you get mostly a full day's worth of tailgating if that's what you're uh, there to do. And you perhaps don't get home quite so late, which as I get older, gets more and more uh the kind of thing I, I have a tendency to appreciate. I just love the 330 CBS, and I've loved the pads of the CBS broadcast. Told you many times before that I just think CBS does a far better job covering college football than I think ESPN does. And I think as the SEC solely moves its product to the ESPN family of networks next year, my charge for ESPN, my call to, to ESPN is step up your game and improve the quality of your telecast, the camera angles, the perhaps broadcasters in some respects, certainly the the presentation on TV. I don't want to see a score ticker of WNBA scores while I'm watching college football. That's an event for me. I don't care about any other sporting event that's going on. I think ESPN just needs to dress up its product to make it look a little bit more big time. I think that CBS has been really good at doing that. So tomorrow is one of our final times to enjoy that. Obviously, we have great memories of, like, say, Vern Lundquist and Gary Danielson dancing the, the blackout game in 2007, but whatever else, it's just kind of a cool moment. And maybe you get it again against Ole Miss. I sort of suspect you probably won't be. I believe this will be the final Georgia home game that's sort of Saturday CBS 3.30. That's what I'm gearing up for to be. One thing we know for sure is it's also the last – 
SEC doubleheader. This is the kind of thing like first Saturday in November they've done for a long time. The two SEC games, a big one at 3.30, the big one again there at 8 p.m. Uh, they've done this, and you know it's obviously Georgia-Missouri in the early slot with Alabama-LSU in the late slot there as well. So at the very least, we know that's sort of the end of an era. The last time CBS will have this SEC doubleheader for us there as well. And my guess is we'll be for the Dog Nation postgame show there at the UGA bookstore up on the second floor or when the game is done tomorrow and it's going to feel I believe a little bit like some of these games have felt like in the past where I think the Georgia fans are going to really have their eye on Alabama LSU first of all it's a great game obviously we know that's the case but I believe for Georgia the stakes here are pretty, are pretty interesting right because if Alabama wins it's sort of obvious what the narrative of what the storyline is going to be you're talking about you know a team in Alabama that's perhaps going to march its way towards an 11 and 1 regular season mark coming into the SEC championship presuming that Georgia also continues to win out setting up one of these sort of classic showdowns between Saban and Kirby Georgia and Alabama high stakes big game everybody sort of understands that if LSU were to win it sort of seems like it throws the SEC West into chaos a little bit more uh, you're talking about an old Miss team that assuming it beats Texas A&M on Saturday would come to Athens the following week with a lot to play for they would still be alive in the SEC West race and the whole thing would sort of feel chaotic and you're kind of left to conclude well does an LSU win does that diminish Georgia's game in the SEC championship assuming that Georgia's able to get there but I want to share this with you for one moment there's at least one prominent analyst who doesn't think so at least one prominent analyst is actually sort of talking up the LSU side here in a game against Alabama on Saturday despite the fact that LSU's already lost to Ole Miss and already lost to Florida State uh apparently Joel Clapp from Fox Sports believes that the team that'll play after Georgia on CBS tomorrow LSU could perhaps be alive still in the college football playoff race and perhaps could be on track according to Clatt to maybe even beat Georgia in the SEC championship so if you need some context for why the Alabama LSU game tomorrow night matters to you this is what Clatt said on his own show about that here this week we've never seen a two-loss team in the playoff however if we're gonna see it it would be a team that would knock off the back-to-back defending national champion. My next sleeper is LSU. We've got to pay attention to LSU. This team has a path. I, I know, even with two losses, and I know they didn't look great early. But if Florida State remains undefeated, and you can say, like, that game was all the way in the beginning of the year, like, that doesn't look quite as bad if Florida State is as good as we think that they could be and if they remain undefeated and win the ACC. Then that would mean that LSU would go to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama this week. It would also mean that they would get a win against presumably Georgia in the SEC championship game. And Georgia hasn't even lost since the 2021 SEC championship game. So now all of a sudden, you're going to get huge momentum from L- uh, for LSU. I had a Dog Nation Daily viewer get, tell me yesterday, flat out, no uncertain terms, that he thinks that LSU would be a tougher opponent for Georgia in the SEC championship than Alabama would be, assuming that Georgia's able to get there. I certainly think that's an interesting point of view. I don't know that I agree with that yet, but I don't know that I disagree with that. LSU was, if you'll remember, for me, a preseason pick to make the college football playoff. And I have, to be honest with you, almost totally abandoned that because they are far worse defensively than I expect them to be. 
and I did not think that Jaden Daniels had the capability of proving to be as good as he has. So in other words, I've gotten it so wrong about LSU that even if they did kind of emerge as a contender again, I can't really take ownership of that because this is just not quite the LSU team that I expected it to be. But it is interesting to hear Joel Clack sort of talking him up there right there. So my point is simply this. On kind of the last time for an SEC doubleheader on CBS, obviously you appreciate that 330 time slot for Georgia-Missouri tomorrow. But if you're a UGA fan, I think it's time to start paying attention to what is happening in the SEC West. Is this an Alabama team, perhaps a little bit like Georgia, figuring it out at the right time, setting themselves up with running game and defense and maybe just enough of Jalen Milrow to be truly dangerous when it perhaps plays Georgia in the first Saturday in December? Or is this LSU super explosive on offense, as bad a defense as you possibly can find? Is that a team that has the unique mix of just being explosive enough that they create a level of danger there for George. I think UGA fans ought to have their attention on Tuscaloosa there tomorrow night to kind of find out what the scenario is in the SEC West. And and what we're talking about right now is a very interesting, challenging stretch for Georgia. How much of the first Saturday in December kind of also starts to creep into this too, that if Georgia can get past Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, that it's looking at an SEC championship where there could be some pretty high stakes on the line, including guys like Joel Klatt touting the possibility of a two-loss LSU team playing well enough to be back in playoff consideration. That's interesting stuff, and that is Around the Doghouse, presented today by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. Now, big tailgate tomorrow. I need you at your best in Athens tomorrow. I know you will be. And the fuel to get you there, perhaps, is our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. And in the Peach Day, for a limited time, of course, you know it's the peach-flavored version of the Finnish Long Drink there as well. I mean, just look at that can, that, that, that glistening can, the peach color, the condensation just dripping down the side. Isn't that perfect? Doesn't that look good when you pull that out of the cooler tomorrow and you pop the top? I, I believe we're going to have decentish weather for the uh, day tomorrow. I'm not a, a meteorologist, but I believe it's going to be decent weather for the game tomorrow there. So fun tailgate experience and a fun time to try perhaps all of the varieties of the finished long drink. Not just the peach flavored version, perhaps the long drink cranberry. Many of you love that. The long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. For those of you that want to look good, that's a great way to help you do that. Or the traditional, probably my favorite still, if even after all these years, grapefruit flavor gin kick. You love that. So make sure you find it out online. And you can figure out where to pick some up today. It's the longdrink.com. It's been awarded as the best tasting uh, drink in its category many times. Uh, it's the ready to drink cocktail right there in a can. You like mixed drinks? Well, this is one that's already mixed for you. So find them online, thelongdrink.com, and you can figure out where to pick some of that up today and make it a big part of your tailgate experience. And of course, we're glad to have the finished long drink as a part of Around the Doghouse here today. Okay, so before we're done, I am going to give you my final thoughts on LSU Alabama, kind of pick a winner in this, sort of settle on my pick for that. So we'll kind of close the show out the way that we have all on Fridays recently. So just some sort of final sort of overarching thoughts on some of the big games. I don't like to brag, but I was 6-0 and with my picks last week. So uh, you'll see that more of that later on today on Go With The Flow, presented by R.S. Andrews. But uh, was 6-0 last week, so perhaps a little bit of credibility with what we're talking about here today. We'll do that here to wrap things up. Uh, by the way, that's 6-0 against the spread, too. Let's not forget that. But uh, we'll do that to wrap up the show here today. For now, though, a lot going on as it relates to Georgia recruiting, including impressive list of visitors for Saturday and perhaps some uh, committed elsewhere uh, chatter here, too. So let's talk about that, all of it uh, with Jeff Sintel here right now on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Fun to have the dogs back at home. 3.30 time slot makes it a little easier for some of those guys playing on Friday nights to make their way over to the Classic City in time to be hosted and uh, wined and dined, so to speak, figuratively speaking. Uh, getting ready for uh, the game against Missouri on Saturday, which should be an incredible atmosphere. So the hope here is a lot of good recruits will be in the building. Jeff, if you don't mind, let's begin with there on that. What are you hearing right now about perhaps who will be in the stands for Georgia against uh, Missouri tomorrow? Obviously, uh, a great chance to host a, a great crop of visitors, we're, we're, we're assuming anyway. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, Brandon, can we call it so sodded and bottled watered instead of wined and dined? Is that what we can call yeah, it? Yeah, perhaps that's better said, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, it's you know, here's the thing, man. I heard you talking about maybe swan songs with CBS earlier in your show, but it's also kind of a swan song, or at least it's twilight for the Georgia home recruiting calendar. They've only got one more slated home game next week. And then that's all the games in Sanford. Kind of wild, Brandon. Today, this weekend, today to think about, this weekend is homecoming. Next weekend is senior night, senior day, whatever you want to call. Kind of wild to see this season has really just sped by. As far as kind of like big-time recruits, um, you know, you're expected to see, you know, every time Ellis Robinson visits Georgia, man, it's a big deal to me, the number one corner in the country. He's expected Andre Evans, the uh, – Recent flip from LSU out of Christ Presbyterian in Nashville, Tennessee. He's going to be in town. He's expected to take his official visit. I believe that's going to be his first ever visit to Sanford Stadium for a game. That's always good when Georgia gets a commit in the house when they have they committed before actually experiencing Sanford on a game day. Another name to look for is Terrell Anderson, NC State wide receiver. Guy that's kind of been trending to Georgia, trending away from NC State for a while now, especially in the embers of the NICAR situation for Georgia. Those are kind of the big-time 2024s. I expect all, a lot of the 2024 commitments to be there. Uh, Zayden Walker, the 2025 linebacker out of Schley County, uh, his team in Ellenville, Schley County, excuse me, that Schley County, he's been doing great uh, this year, number one linebacker in the country. Another trip to Georgia. He's expected to see Georgia play Tennessee up in Knoxville in a couple more weeks. A couple five stars to think about. A young man out of Westgate High School in Louisiana. Javery Antoine, the number five quarterback in the country. Number six quarterback in the country. He's a five star. Just recently offered by Georgia earlier this month. Georgia's in on another five star corner. I know Brandon loves to hear that. No doubt. Perhaps the biggest, and it's a guy I'm probably going to go see tonight. Biggest, figuratively, biggest uh, by the eyeball test is Juan Gaston Jr., uh, priority, really, offensive tackle for the 2025 class. Everybody's been worried or kind of clutching their pearls a little bit about why Juan Gaston Jr. hasn't made it to Athens yet. Well, he gave me a schedule at the beginning of the year, and he's kind of following his schedule about the visits he's going to take. He actually has an audible this week where he's going to see Georgia this week and next week, so Everybody wondering about the six foot eight, three hundred thirty five pounder, and you know whether he's disinterested in Georgia because he hasn't visited yet. Turns out, one Gaston Jr. just likes to see late season cold weather games. It looks like because he's going to see enough of the dogs this month as well. Another name I know you've seen him. I know you've called games with him before. Brandon 
is Aaron Gregory. Yeah. I think he's a five-star safety or receiver, whatever he wants to be in the 2026 class out of a really powerful Douglas County team this year in Douglasville. He just got an offer from Ohio State to play wide receiver. That verifies the skill level there on the national scene. Although he's just a 2026, Aaron Barry's, Aaron Gregory is also going to be in the house, and he kind of reminds me a lot as a safety, as that as an Eric Berry type playmaker, really special athlete. I'd put him maybe not quite in the Malachi Starks athlete category because Malachi had such tremendous measurables in high school, but uh, Aaron Gregory is going to be one of the best in the state in the sophomore class. Yeah, let me follow up on a couple of those things here just for a moment, starting with Gaston because. You know, listen, I'm actually really happy with what Georgia's done from an offensive line standpoint with its class of 2024. I think in a year in which some of the industry experts will say, oh, a little bit of a weaker crop, not quite as many elite offensive linemen across the country. I think Georgia's strategy of therefore saying, okay, we're going to focus on elite trade. We're going to find like the just the giant guys, you know, bigger, larger than life type prospects, you know, four star variety in many cases, but, you know, kind of focusing on that elite trait and say, hey, we're going to bet big if the overall depth in this class is perhaps not, you know, what it sometimes is. However, I, I do think that also puts a huge spotlight on 2025, where in state there are a lot of really good offensive linemen. And battles like that, I mean, the thing that has made Georgia, Georgia, I just believe, has been the success of its offensive line. This year, perhaps that's also starting to kind of round into form at the right time there as well. And for Georgia, you've heard me say this before, I think those line of scrimmage battles in state for the class of 2025 are just going to be massive. And on the offensive line, it's kind of the same way. And so Gaston's presence on Saturday, I do view as a really big deal because I do believe both lines of scrimmage in-state recruiting in the class of 2025 are going to be enormous. you got to also throw in, you know, let's throw some flowers, Brandon, where I think flowers are deserved, and I mean kudos. I think Stacey Searles has done an amazing job for Georgia since he's been there. Not just on the field with Georgia's offensive line being very effective, plugging in players like Monroe Freeling, Dylan Fairchild, Micah Morris in the second wave, Jared Wilson, that are really ready to play. But, I mean, on the recruiting trail, Brandon, you know, what he's done, he's almost really kind of sweeping the board with a lot of his top targets that are interested in what Georgia has to offer and not just strictly a large inducement play with NIL. I think Searles has done a remarkable job combining both of those assets when maybe Georgia in years past either got all the hog mollies really great on recruiting, but then sometimes people wondered what's happening on fourth and one and third and one and how much they're really protecting the quarterback. I think Stacey Searles is doing a, a, a remarkable job right now. It's even continuing into the 2025 class with David Sanders Jr. and Juan Gaston Jr. Building the right relationships. And you've got Georgia. I don't know if they'll go six deep uh, in, in offensive tackles or offensive linemen in the 2025 class like they did in 2024, but I think they'll go at least four or five deep because – the attrition coming to the offensive line, you've really just kind of trying to, trying to replace the chairs in the room. And like you said, man, the bodies are massive. And that's one of the things I, I, I've remarked a lot about in the last couple of weeks. Florida might be recruiting well, but they're not recruiting that side of the ball in the trenches really well at all. And I think as long as Georgia continues to emphasize 
it's a line of scrimmage league. I think they're going to be fantastic in the trenches for years to come, and that's exactly what they're doing. Let's talk more about Terrell Anderson for a moment because I don't believe you and I have really talked about him on this show, but it seems like a lot of my private conversations, he's coming up a little bit more. As you say, NC State commit, wide receiver, coming into town this weekend. Seems like there's a little bit of a uh, sort of a recruiting service divide about exactly what kind of prospect that he is. I guess the thing you perhaps like the best here is he is 6'3", so he brings pretty good size to the table here for Georgia. But beyond that, you know, what do you make of Anderson overall and for perhaps some of our audience that's only just now getting acquainted with this possible flip candidate for UGA, uh, what more can you tell us about him? Well, he's North Carolina, and anytime the dog's going to North Carolina, it's usually for a good reason. The Grimsley High School, that's where Jamal Jarrett hails from, and there's also a young defensive end by the name of Bryce Davis that they really like in the 2025 class. Um, Grimsley High's been pretty good to Georgia up late. Uh, Brandon, I think this is one of those situations that we were not going to you know, beat our chest about it a little bit, like a 6-0 and ranking on Go With The Flow, sure. a 6-0 and weekend on Go With The Flow, but uh, he feels to me like he's been a solid decommitment for a while now, and you know, Georgia, he's got Georgia fans in his family. I believe his father's a big Georgia fan. Uh, he visited Georgia for the Kentucky game. He really liked what he saw. I mean, Brendan, can you imagine a recruit that was kind of, and this kind of goes for Marcellus Barnes, who's committed to Virginia Tech right now out of Tennessee, that Georgia really likes as a, a potential flip candidate as well. Can you imagine you're committed to an NC State or a, or a Virginia Tech, and then all of a sudden, you walk into Sanford Stadium for the first time, and like in Terrell Anderson's case, Brian, Brian McClendon, BMAC, was actually out to see one of his games. And then you walk into that cathedral with everything going on with the lights and fans and the trumpet player, and the, they got a, a former NFL dog alumni calling the dogs, and there's 93,000, and people are kind of raging in the stands. Man, it's kind of hard not to be wowed by that. And I think that's what happened with Terrell Anderson going to get his official visit this weekend when a lot of people wonder whether it was going to it was going to come but it was going to, whether it was going to be Ole Miss next week or Missouri this week and I think you've got Anderson one of those prime remaining flip candidates Brandon we have we run the top targets list every week on before the hedges the guys who we think is a good mix of who Georgia needs where there's legitimate interest on both parties and Almost exclusively the list now is all flip candidates. I could probably just call it a flip list at this point, plus the guy you can't flip in Mackay Barrow out of uh, Creekside in Fairburn, man. But, you know, he's a guy visiting. You want to look to see when's the next time Barnes is going to visit. You know, Nazir Johnson, man, Florida commitment right now, currently playing a big ball game tonight in Swainsboro against Swainsboro, who got knocked off last week by Blakely County. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. Yeah. Uh, former Jake Fromm coach Von Lasseter leading Blackley County. but uh, And then you've got uh, DeMello Jones and Nazir out of Dublin. He's one of those flip candidates as well. Another defensive line commodity target that the dogs like maybe to potentially finish out their class. Um, so it's a busy weekend. I think this is another weekend, Brandon, quite frankly, where they're going to work on the 2024 flip. They're going to welcome all the, the commitments in town for one more time. But to me, I think this is another investment weekend in the class in 2025 when we start writing stories about 2025 commits. And they tell me, you know, I kind of really knew when. And, you know, a lot of that, a lot of those roots, a lot of those seeds that are going to be planted this weekend are going to go a long way toward that. So you mentioned Nazir Johnson and Makai Boro and guys like that. Like, I know 
how big a win for Florida would have been from a recruiting standpoint. They would have given you an on-field – they would have given them an on-field win to kind of match the sum of off-field momentum they've had. So clearly a win last week for Florida would have been a very big deal for them. But on the flip side, you know, Georgia not just getting the win but making it convincing once again – whether you're looking at this from what it might mean for Nazir or Boyro or guys like that, or just the sort of big picture thing of Florida may have NIL, but they don't have any success on the field against teams like UGA. What do you think Georgia's win meant last week from a recruiting standpoint? I think it basically just um, basically just validated, you know, what the eyes tell you uh, about the present is probably going to be the future as well. Georgia continues to recruit those massive humans. Massive humans like Barrow, Nasir Johnson. I think Florida's gimmick this week is to break out some black helmets um, against Arkansas to kind of you know jazz up a lot of excitement. I think Georgia is what it is, and I think Florida still is what it is um, in terms of that rivalry. You know, they can preach, "Hey, we need you to help Georgia to help them topple Georgia in years to come in that game." But you look at that game, you look how it was. I believe thirty-five to seven, thirty-six to seven at the at the beginning of the fourth, uh, beginning of the fourth quarter, and that's still a very, very big gap. And I don't think Florida is going to close that anytime soon. And you know, that's the opinion I would guess here of record for this program, your show, and maybe a lot of our website. Uh, but you know, Florida can't look at that and say they're really close or they're gaining ground when Georgia continues to beat them on the recruiting trail. They continue to beat them on the field, and it doesn't look like the gap's getting any closer. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And let me finish with this, if you don't mind. And I know you've touched on this some already, but I want to kind of broaden it out here, you know, for a little bit more. You know, give me an idea of a couple of snapshots about what you think could be next for Georgian recruiting. And just as a little bit of a thought started to begin this, like you still hear about like Cam McHale from Statesboro. Is that a guy who's still out there for the 2024 class for Georgia? Um, And then if not him, then who – you know early dominoes that could fall for 2025 if you want to you know we're kind of in that weird time where we're still far enough away from early signing period that it sort of feels like we're not quite there yet but we're obviously you know sort of way down the road with most of the 2024 process here you know in addition to Anderson whether it be Mikhail or whatever else like what's still out there and what possibly could be next for Georgia in the immediate when it comes to this 2024 class yeah, you know, Mikel's a name. He's also expected to be in town this weekend. I've, I neglected to mention him. He's, he's kind of a guy, Brandon, that, you know, props to him because I remember talking to him last January. And what he said in last January is still the roadmap he's following. Cam's like, I probably won't make a decision until the, the signing day in February of his senior year. And that's kind of, he's holding true to his course. He took his official to Georgia in the summer he knows what he's getting there uh, and then he's just kind of playing things out i think the development with georgia and cam mckell out of statesboro really phenomenal athlete georgia likes him as a defensive back the rest of the country likes him as a, hey you can play whatever you want when you come here and that's kind of how georgia's tune with him kind of changed a little bit after things were developing with georgia with like watching my car trend away and everything else like that i think georgia has welcomed him to say hey We'll give you a shot on the offensive side of the ball. We just want you in the program. Brandon, this is a big kid. Got that South Georgia red clay, good playing football in him. Uh, really fast kid. He's another 10-5, 10-5-5. Kid on the track, which Georgia always seems to look for burners these days to be in its secondary. I think he would be an amazing fit for Georgia, but I just think, Brendan, he might be the one name you and I are talking about on January the 28th. 
still not having made his okay. decision. And the other thing to think about with Cam, man, is you just got to look at who he's looking at. Tennessee, they remain a contender. Yeah. Colorado, that's a contender for him. So yeah. you've got a lot of a splash and a lot of hoopla on a big stage on the uh, Big 12, I guess, now with uh, Cam McHale playing for Coach Prime. And then you've got Tennessee, and you know that Tennessee – that Tennessee offer comes with more than just playing in front of 103,000 or 105,000 inside Neyland Stadium. So you look at that, and it gives you a kind of a picture of what it's looking for. I think Cam's going to have to make a decision where he wants to go in terms of the fit, how he wants to showcase himself on Saturdays, and then also what's really important to him. Is it the NFL development or is it kind of the, up, the upfront attention and the, you know, the other things that those two other programs, those two other really big contenders offer for him? As far as Anderson and Barnes, those guys have told me, and even Makai Rowe, those guys have told me that they're going to kind of watch and wait, keep their decision revving in neutral a little bit, and kind of wait and see where they're at in December. I think those are going to probably be the bigger things to watch in December, kind of like Georgia saw some names move late with guys like Kyron Jones, um, you know, Chris Peel, places like that. I think Georgia's going to have a late close, but it's going to be a lot of guys like that that, you know, senior year evals also play a big part there as well. Hey, listen, I don't have any problem with that. I love to see guys earn their way into a class like this with a big performance in their senior season. That just seems like the way it should be sometimes. So that's good stuff to consider, Jeff. We appreciate your time here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger today. Looking forward to seeing you in the uh, uh, between the hedges there tomorrow. There, Dooley Field, Sanford Stadium. We've only got a couple of home games left, and as I told our audience before, this may be the last time we ever have three thirty CBS. Uh, there so I know it'll be a special day and a uh, fun time there between the hedges as it always is Jeff I'll look forward to seeing you there then hey Brandon everybody stay warm out there I'll see you in Sanford tomorrow and you have a good call tonight man thank you Jeff appreciate that appreciate your time let's take a look around the rest of the league this is SEC through yeah I, I I promise I won't get too nostalgic but it really is weird to me how the season sort of plays out because our season, as you've heard me say many times before, it's just the shortest of them all. If we were big NBA fans, I mean, that season never ends. Uh, like international soccer, it feels like that's just a wraparound. Like, it's, <laughs> like this season lasts longer than the full calendar year, it sort of feels like anyway. But our season's just short. It's 12 regular season games. And at the beginning of the – like my grandfather used to have season tickets, right? And I've told this before. So in the mail, there's that like cardboard thing that came – where you tear off all of the tickets. And I just remember when it's summertime and that the big cardboard thing would come and you'd have all that, you know, those tickets all kind of connect together, sort of the perforation that holds them together. It always just looks so cool. But it doesn't take very long for those tickets to start getting torn off. And by the time you got down to like what used to either be the Auburn game or the Tech game, they're all gone. You're like, where did the season go? I remember thinking that as a kid, like, where does the season go? How does it go by so fast? And now, you know, of course, if you're a season ticket holder now, they don't even do the cardboard stuff anymore. You just have the, I guess, the, the, the digital tickets. But for, like, credentials and media-type things, they still have the stuff they mail to you. And so it comes in an envelope, and you reach in there, and you pull one out, and then you pull the next one out. And then finally you start reaching the envelope, and it doesn't feel quite so full anymore. And so after tomorrow, we'll just have one home game left, and it'll be next Saturday. It's just really weird how quickly our season gets away from us. Uh, but, hey, listen, we're going to make the most of it and enjoy it. And so... Whatever you're doing tomorrow, in the stadium, watching with friends at home, hey, take advantage of a great college football Saturday and what has a chance to be a great Georgia win. I, I'm excited about it and I hope you're as looking forward to it just as much as I am. Something else I'm looking forward to is because when the season's done, you got to have something else to be excited about. That's just the way my brain works. 
and y'all know the thing that i'm excited about more than anything else is a royal caribbean cruise vacation in fact i've got a couple already on the books for 2024 the dog nation cruise you already know about many of you also heard there as well about january of 2024 i get a chance to be on icon of the seas and i still keep hearing things about icon of the seas about what's going to make it so much bigger and so much better and truly unique compared to any cruise ship that's ever sailed before you know it's a combination of like the largest water park at sea with like a beach resort and you know incredible entertainment options almost like you're in las vegas the the, the special neighborhoods and there's actually you know, the, the larger sort of cruise ships in the Royal Caribbean fleet uh, over the course of the last few years have kind of taken these neighborhood concepts where there's different sections of the ship. And each of these sections, you sort of feel like you're you know, in something that's even it just doesn't even feel like a cruise ship, hardly. Uh, well, there's even some new concepts there on that when it comes to uh, to the uh, brand new Icon of the Seas, plus phenomenal entertainment options there as well there's like a dueling pianos bar just so many cool things going on here so i can't wait to be on it in january i can't wait to come back and tell you all about it after that but really i don't want you to wait to hear my first person account of all of this i want you to get your own royal caribbean cruise vacation planned up today our friend jessica slater great travel agent specially selected for us by royal caribbean she can help you with this so give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also email her jslater at dreamvacations.com if you can't be on icon in january or at some point in time in 2024 we hope to see you on the dog nation cruise coming up in april there as well because that is going to be a terrific time all right let us go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and let's give you some final thoughts here on the biggest games of the upcoming weekend i'm going to try to keep this succinct but I, I tell you i have really been wrestling with alabama lsu all week long because what i don't like to do is completely contradict my previous takes and at the beginning of the year obviously i was very high on lsu i believe that successful people make up their mind quick and change their mind slow but over the course of the year I have probably changed my mind somewhat on LSU because they are not in any shape or form the team I thought they would be. They're far worse on defense. Jaden Daniels as a quarterback has been far better than I assumed that he would be. So even as LSU seemingly is starting to play a little bit better, perhaps, they're still not quite the same team I expect them to be. So it's almost like my original prediction of LSU is not particularly relevant. So what do you then think is going to happen on Saturday? Well, here's the one thing I think sort of keeps coming back to for me. When you look at the point spread, it's been kind of hovering around a field goal all week long. Now, when you hear me, you need to check your own listing to sort of find out exactly where you can find the game at. But it's been around that sort of three, three and a half point number. Obviously, the half point there in that spot is a key number. To me, what you're saying is, is that on a neutral field right now, because you typically award three points for being at home, that's kind of the baked in scenario there with it when it comes to point when it comes to point spreads. But on a neutral field odds makers are telling you that they right now view lsu and alabama as an even team and i gotta tell you i just can't get there i just can't you're talking about an lsu team that in the sort of efficiency metrics defensively the computers the math nerds the analytics types i mean they'll tell you that lsu's barely in the top 90 right now and a team that's that weak on that side of the ball i can't put them even with alabama right now which to me sort of puts the value on alabama here in this game a lot of this for me sort of comes down to which team gets the style of game that it wants you know lsu comes into the game averaging 47 points per game 
they want as many possessions as possible because they know they're going to allow some touchdowns when their defense is on the field. By comparison, Alabama's been much more deliberate this year. They're only averaging 30 points per game. So they want the game to be played much slower. They want the game to sort of feel like the old school Nick Saban days of pre-Lane Kiffin as offensive coordinator when Alabama was kind of looking to grind it out with wins. Now, the recent history in this series will tell you that may not be so easy to do. The total here sits at, what, 59 and a half? Three of the last four Alabama LSU games have gone over that total. But let's also keep in mind this. This might be Nick Saban's last game coaching against LSU. Obviously not a guarantee, and perhaps it's a little bit of a long shot, but you at least have to consider it a possibility. It's at least one of the last games he'll ever coach against LSU. And you got to assume, with respect for the coach here, what he's been, that he is not going to have one of these games against LSU where it's a million points and he's sort of holding on for dear life in a game that he can't really control. you got to think what might be his last big shot to go head-to-head against LSU, what has been a great rivalry, uh, that he's going to try to assert himself as a coach in this game and get the style of game that he wants. And in a lower-scoring game, all the more reason to, fa- to sort of uh, favor uh, Alabama here in this spot. And by the way, for what it's worth, in terms of getting the kind of game you want, that's sort of been what Alabama's been pretty good at here this year. Go look at 26-20 against Texas A&M, 24-21 against Arkansas. Even against Tennessee, it's 34-20. The win earlier this year against Ole Miss, high-powered Rebels offense, final score is 24-10. Alabama gets a comfortable two-touchdown win, and it does so right now playing the style and at the pace in which Alabama's comfortable. That's what I believe happens tomorrow there as well. On a neutral field, I still view Alabama to be the better team. I also view Alabama more capable of getting the pace and style of game than it wants tomorrow, and all of that favors the Crimson Tide for me. Then moving on, it's Texas A&M against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is at home as a three-point favorite. If LSU were to win, if I'm wrong about my Alabama pick and LSU wins, then Ole Miss, by winning this game, can come to Athens next week with a whole lot on the line. But I'm skeptical of Ole Miss here in this spot. Part of that reason is because Ole Miss has played a couple of games this year that were far closer than they probably should have been. You know, kind of only a touchdown winning against a pretty bad Auburn team. Uh, a low score, you know, final margin of victory against what's not a very good Arkansas team. Against a backup quarterback for Tulane earlier this year, Ole Miss looked in danger of losing that game for a little while. This is also an Ole Miss team a year ago that started 7-0 and but lost four of its last final five games in the season last year. This is an Ole Miss team I believe at times is sort of lacking in maturity. On the other side, Texas A&M is just flat out not very good, but they're not dead yet either. They won 30-13 to against South Carolina last Saturday, sort of staying alive with some sort of level of respectability. Uh, inside of a field goal, can I, do I think they can keep it there on Saturday? I do. I like the Aggies plus three on the road at Ole Miss on Saturday. Stepping outside the SEC here for a moment may surprise you, but with Notre Dame going to Clemson with all the chatter around Clemson here this week, I actually like the Tigers plus three against Notre Dame and for me a lot of this is just sort of the basic heat check type thing where at some point Notre Dame is probably due for a little bit of a comeback to earth moment here let me kind of give you an idea of why I feel that way let's go back to the sort of marquee game against Ohio State they lost 17-14 had their chances to win just could not muster any offense after that it's a 21-14 win against Duke that's a ranked Blue Devils team but the truth is that's also a, a Duke win for Notre Dame that doesn't feel as impressive now as it did when they got it they lose to Louisville they beat USC but USC is a total mess they won 58-7 last week against Pitt but immediately after the game you've got pat narduzzi calling out players players calling out narduzzi the situation for Pitt right now might be a mess 
This is not for me a total stand against Notre Dame. I don't think it's a bad football team. I just believe it's a team due for a heat check. And when you think about key numbers, obviously three where this point spread is is a key number. But you know what? One is also a key number there as well. So perhaps Notre Dame wins. Perhaps they only win by a point or at least inside of a field goal. I think Clemson, you go back and look at the game that sort of caused all the trouble for them as of late, what happened against NC State. The truth is, statistically speaking, they didn't play that bad. The number one issue for the Tigers has been a massive amount of turnover. A lot of that from Cape Plubnik, a lot of that in the red zone. Uh, but if you can correct that even for one week, it's enough for Clemson, who has not probably stopped completely playing, despite the fact what some Clemson fans see. Uh, probably not impossible for them to keep it inside that number. A little bit of a contrarian play, but I like Clemson plus three. I also like the underdog uh, in the Bedlam rivalry game as Oklahoma State hosts Oklahoma. For me, this comes down to two things really, really simply. First of all, you've seen Oklahoma now play pretty bad two weeks in a row. They scuffled with UCF and they flat out lost last week to Kansas and Jalen Daniels, the, the Jayhawks quarterback, didn't play. So Oklahoma, previously undefeated, lost to a backup quarterback last week. What I think you see with Oklahoma right now is just sort of basic regression to the mean. This was a team whose season win total to begin the year was nine and a half. Right now, this is feeling like the sort of Oklahoma team that may lose one or two more times before this year comes to an end. So in a tough rivalry spot where Oklahoma State's got a ton to play for here, Oklahoma may find itself in a little bit of a challenging spot. And if there's a close call to be had, you've got to imagine the officials are sort of leaning the direction of Oklahoma State. Keep that in mind there as well. Perhaps, maybe they're on that. But the other thing here is, is the truth is, for all the sort of jokes that have always been made about Mike Gundy, you know, the old days of I'm a man, I'm 40, he had the mullet there for a while, which cable news network he chooses to watch, you know, whatever issues have seemed to exist with Gundy, the one thing that should not get obscured is he has been very good against the spread for the most part as a head coach. In fact, you look at his last 20 games at home against Big 12 competition, 12-7-1 against the spread there in that spot. He's getting six on Saturday. Uh, they've got the best player in this game, Ollie Gordon, the running back, having a phenomenal year for the Pokes. I actually like Oklahoma State plus the six there on Saturday. Saturday. And then I'm also going to give you one more here. I'll take USC plus three and a half against Washington. This for me is mostly just sort of a feeler, a little bit of a trial balloon on the basis of the fact that Washington, much like Oklahoma, has really looked pretty rough the last couple of weeks. And perhaps, like we've said already, there's a little bit of a not quite dead yet scenario in play for USC. Washington team seems to be looking for a soft spot to land right now. So I'll take a flyer on USC plus the three and a half uh against washington we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean now tomorrow cannot wait to see you in athens uh all day long of course if you see me please come by and say hello but i especially want to see you after the show for our dog nation after the game i should say for our dog nation post game show second floor of the uga bookstore so tomorrow here's what we're going to do we're going to get back to taking your live calls we've had some tremendous calls over the course of the last few weeks really really love the energy around our post game show right now it's been a lot of fun and if you're going to the game this is super easy to do come by uga bookstore second floor pop on the air we'll give you a chance to do sort of a live call with us there for that the the dog nation post game show has been so much fun the last few weeks and so tomorrow another chance to do that from the uga bookstore something i always love to do now something else i love 
on our Dog Nation postgame show there as well is our player of the game feature. Last week, Lad McConkey won for a really Herculean effort returning from injury at a time in which Georgia needed a playmaker to step up. Lad stepped up in a very big way for UGA. You love to see that. And we really appreciate the Jay Stein Law Firm for helping make that player of the game a possibility. And I want to recommend the Jay Stein Law Firm to you if you find yourself hurt in an accident, injured, someone you love has been. When you're facing a situation in which you feel like you deserve compensation, let our friends at the Josh Stein or Josh Stein and his folks at the Jay Stein Law Firm take care of you and fight to perhaps get you what you deserve in a situation like this. Because some of the personal injury firms you may have heard of before, you know, some of these things are like in a thousand states and they got you know a million whatever and to them all you might be is just another manila folder just another file a case number perhaps no personal attention but our friends at the j stein law firm are a little bit more of a boutique style firm they're going to give you that small firm level of attention you deserve plus josh stein is a two-time graduate of the university of georgia we call those double dogs including the uga law school he loves helping dog fans in their time of need and he wants to help you there as well so please find him online at j stein law firm that's stein spelled s-t-e-i-n j stein law firm find him today so i have to beg your pardon for one thing here as we wrap up i have had a good number of computer issues over the course of the last few days which is going to be rectified here very soon but it is not as of yet that means that the sort of like Friday shoe dump we like to do with a whole bunch of golden shoes we don't quite have those we had so many great submissions coming off the Florida game and a lot of these I have not been able to give due credit to because I've just had a lot of computer issues so we'll get that fixed be ready to go uh, hopefully for next week but I do have a great one to give you for today and I appreciate our producer Michael Carville giving this to you Gary Mark sends this uh, he says I'm listening to the victory pie with my favorite beverage and so this is going back to Monday enjoying dog nation daily after a big win for Georgia against Florida and he's got the Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar Gary I really appreciate you uh, being a part of our show, supporting one of our great sponsors in Dr. Pepper, and enjoying the brand new strawberries and cream zero sugar. So that's a super cool thing to do, Gary. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for being a part of that. A well-deserved golden shoe for you, for your support of us and our friends at Dr. Pepper. And by the way, lousy, stinking gators. They'll be lucky to beat Arkansas tomorrow. We don't even know how that's going to turn out. But we do know this. It has been a long time since they've had anything to brag about when it comes to Georgia. In fact, let's give you a gator, hater, updater. How about 1,091 days the last time that Florida beat Georgia? That's a number that's going to keep climbing, we believe, for a long time to come. But for now, our focus is Missouri. Game day tomorrow. We'll see you in Athens. And then back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. We'll talk to you then, everybody and on video time now for the rs andrews cool down rs andrews the one you turn to for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs they show up on time they do the work that's promised for the price that's promised 